1: Hello there to all our lovely Ruck followers and downloaders. You're now in excellent company because the Ruck is now available to half a million uh, members of Times Plus, who we love almost as much as our Ruck listeners. Um, hope you all enjoyed the Autumn Internationals. I wonder if there's anyone out there who sat down and saw every game because you got my total admiration if you did. But it was fantastic. And we're going to start with the news. Uh, This morning, it was announced that Joe Schmidt, the coach of Ireland, and uh, as of last night, the reigning uh, World Rugby Coach of the Year, will not carry on after the World Cup campaign. Uh, he's Joe said he's going to take some time off from coaching uh, for family reasons whether or not he then rebounds into contention to coach the Lions we don't know but uh, the great man standing down it's also been uh, announced that Andy Farrell that well-known Irishman not will take charge of the team until 2023 possibly beyond right um we've got three experts here to talk about that and all the other issues we've got Owen slot the Rugby correspondent of The Times. Uh, Owen was uh, effusive about uh, England this morning in in The Times. We've got um, Big Al Dimmock, um, who bless him and good on Rugby World, has been in Marseille to preside over the final uh, qualifier for um, Rugby World Cup, which was Canada. And we'll hear from uh, Al in a minute. we also Nigel Botherway, um one of the greatest fishermen the world has ever seen, the host of Fisherman's Blues on TalkSport. And only recently he proved his brilliance by, at the end of Fisherman's Blues, he was just about to sign off when it was found that the presenter of the next show wasn't there and Nigel seamlessly carried on with Tony Cascarino to host a football chat show. Is it correct, Nigel?
2: Football,
1: cricket, you name it. Great versatility and live, live radio is fantastic.
3: Do you have any fishermen ringing in?
1: Not on that one. We do on the fishing show, but
2: that one we were talking about Scotland's win over Albania and uh, England's series victory over Sri Lanka in Colombo. He's so
1: versatile, also, isn't he? He's versatile. He's also he can a, play anywhere. He's a very, very fine coach. I've played under Nigel's coaching for the Rugby Writers 15 against the University of British Columbia Old Boys. They only had 180 Canadian caps, and Nigel spotted that Pat Palmer, the great Canadian wing had to be well marked and he laid his dispositions and it all worked very well it took Palmer a whole four minutes before he got his hat trick
4: (laughs) Stuart
2: Barnes was our captain in defence and I think he'd gone AWOL the night before Blame me, he's
1: like Eddie Jones, he's making excuses now Um, ladies and gentlemen that's the news Um, but probably something others may have missed, was Fiji's magnificent win over France. And make no apologies for picking that out. Um, they beat France with three great tries. France had a team which included Gerardo, Bastereau, Picamole. So there's no excuse there. And, and what a fantastic boost Al, uh, for Fiji to beat France in France for the first time. That's just what Rugby World Cup year uh, uh will need, surely. Absolutely. And it's a lot of people get annoyed when you
4: use phrases like tier one and tier two, but whatever you want to call the section immediately done. And and in fact, you could probably say after this result that Fiji aren't there by, by dint of the fact that they've climbed up the world rankings. So they're up to eighth, so they're in the top ten in the world. This is a fantastic boon for the world game. Because you can we all talk about the haves and have-nots, but if you look at pure talent, Fiji can mix the core of about four or five players that we have, they have can mix it with anyone. And you want to talk about Semi-Radrada's try, absolutely, but two guys that need to get a, a bit of a doff of the cap there is Yato, Pekelino Yato, who plays in the back row, and Leone Nakarawa, just incredible talents who are lighting up French rugby already anyway so they should have known what was coming but still unstoppable
1: and I, and I do think that uh, the more results Fiji have the more players will stay with Fiji and not, not go elsewhere well, why uh, would they stay there though I mean that's the problem isn't
3: it they go somewhere else because they're going to make you know,
1: triple their money or, or no, well, well, ten I'm, times their money if they, what know. I'm saying is that they won't opt to play for other nations if Fiji wherever they play their professional rugby if Fiji are play, uh, playing great rugby themselves they won't go to France or or japan or whatever wherever all the other fijians go
4: it's a good year that fiji have had because they've had this result they're up to eighth their under 20s are are now got promoted back into the top level for the junior world championships and the Drua team that plays in fiji won the nrc championship in australia and there are a lot of players in fact there's a guy that plays for them who's the substitute fly half for fiji and looks like he's an incredible prospect for them so there's a lot of goodwill towards Fijian rugby it's just about kicking on now and of course there's all these talks going on elsewhere about getting a super rugby team or having more professional rugby on the islands let's see where that goes because there's something building there
2: not just the boost for Fiji and rugby, but, you know, the RFU, the World Game, wants to grow the game. You know, watching England against South Africa dogging it out at Twickenham probably doesn't inspire schoolboys to play the game, but watching Fiji certainly does.
1: Very very good point. And uh, just before we move on, we're coming back to this later, but Nigel, um, you saw the final match of the England uh, women's team on on Saturday. Whatever you think of the men's team, were they brilliant or are they on their way or are they good or are they still overrated? No doubt the merit of the... uh, uh, just in, the, just in the sentence, no doubt of the merit of the girls' team. Oh,
2: they're fantastic, and of course, the big news in the women's game is that they turn professional. Thirty-five of England's best women players will get professional contracts handed to them on January the first. But I think you'd agree. You know, professionalism isn't just about being paid, it's about attitude, and England have had that for years. Agreed. agree. Um, you know, they've got a great structure, and I think anybody who hasn't seen women's rugby for a long time or hasn't seen it at all, if they watch it now, they'll be
1: really impressed with the skill set. Agreed. Owen, oh, um, let's just go back to, to England. Um, one tiny, narrow defeat uh, in the, against the All Blacks in the autumn programme. Uh, I guess they would have settled for that before but what do you think? Did they advance slowly, rapidly? Are they on their way? What do you feel this morning on sober reflection?
3: It was a sort of consistent pattern of two steps forward, one step back. But at the end of it, they took many yards forward altogether. I think they've progressed a lot. They they haven't sewn anything together for for more than periods of fifteen, twenty minutes. Um, uh, but but I, I think that. If, if your team is 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 a jigsaw puzzle, I think England found a lot of pieces that fitted in during this during this campaign they just haven 't got them all to, to to work together i mean Ireland are the opposite you know we, you know where they are don 't you It all fits perfectly and i mean for me it 's far t- it 's too late for the whole thing to be being put together like this so, you know players like Mark Wilson should have been discovered a year ago for instance but that's when you, that's when you're picking it apart. Overall, if you consider where England were uh, in October or at the end of the summer or at the or at the end of the Six Nations, I mean, Eddie Jones has made massive strides and and well done to him for that.
1: I my my, uh, my opinion is there've been two massive problem positions they never had anyone really, and that's tight head prop and uh, open side flanker. And on Saturday, uh, we saw Sinclair really reveling in it. I just thought it was a magical performance and. Um, decent in the scrum as well, and also in the back row, Sam Underhill, just finally, after a couple of slightly quiet years, looked apart. The N- N- Nigel, there's um, been a lot of talk with England about um, the, the style of play. They've tried George Ford at 10 with Farrell outside. Uh, they've tried Henry Slade. They've tried to have ball players in there. Suddenly on, on on Saturday late on, you had Manu Tulangi coming on with Ben Teo and Joe Cock and a singer on the wing. Was that for you the the shape that they will now carry on and go into the World Cup on basically big beasting backs. I think so because I mean they've got everything, you know. They've they've
2: got the size, they've got the pace, and you just saw even without the ball. You know, when Manu made that run, the the dummy run where Ford hit Farrell out the back, it was Manu that created that, just because the defence was so scared of him. And I think add to those beasts if you also look in midfield. You mentioned Carl Sinclair. You know, Eddie Jones must be rubbing his hands together, thinking we've done pretty well, and we've got, you know, we've got both Vunipola's. To come back, and if you think of it, Mako Vunipola is one of our best ball handers. I'm sure you'd agree, Alan. Him and Sinclair, yes, yeah, a bit like one of Ireland's successes when they're in midfield, all their forwards can handle and are intricate on the ball. And if you've got Sinclair and Mako doing that as well,
1: we could cause some real damage. I have to say that, uh, you know, the the idea of the Vunipola's back there it does, does make you fairly excited. Al, um, uh, um, Sinclair, what, what have you, um, do you think he, he's now coming through? Did you despair of him coming through, and 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 is he now the real thing?
4: No, I absolutely not despairing of him coming through because I remember I was lucky enough to sit down with him one on one during the Lions tour, and talk to him for a good while about scrummaging. I know Owen wrote a very good piece with him in the Times recently about scrummaging, and he's Thanks, he's Al. a young man who he's a young man. Again, I wrote a good piece about him in the Times. Well, I, I mean, i fed you all the questions. He gave him, him
2: but... some tips on scrummaging as well. No,
4: uh, actually, I did ring Al, who's a scrum, <laughs> scrum specialist. So I What shall so I ask him? But the thing with Sinclair is that he's... Firstly, he's refreshing to talk to because he's an honest, open, young guy. But he's very good on the idea of, of learning. And you never stop learning as a front rower. And you've got to eat your fair share of humble pie. Sometimes it feels like a cement mixer filled with humble pie. Um, and he is capable of doing that. He's still learning. And he's got... You're right, he's got the explosiveness. He's got the attitude. He used to, we used to talk about maybe that going over the, over the mark sometimes. But he's got all the makings of being a, a ferocious... The test tight head, and interesting. I, I liked when um, we were talking about the jigsaw piece there with England. Right, that that another back, great
3: metaphor on the run. Right that hands, that, wasn't it? that
4: that midfield that you're talking about there with Teo and Tulagi does sometimes feel like there's just two pieces of that jigsaw and they've been been mashed together. But it's all about the moving parts around that. So you mentioned the ball carrying forwards. I thought Courtney Laws was fantastic uh-huh. with ball in hand, and that's something that he maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves for, particularly when we're talking about in charging down. But there's there's hints there that there's something special coming. It's just about nailing something down and going right for the World Cup. This is the style of play.
3: Steve, can you can you see England doing a playing a midfield of Tio and Tuilagi together? Well, it's the, got a lot of something and, and lacks quite a lot of other stuff,
1: doesn't it? It does. Mm-hmm. But the other fifty-seven midfields they've tried in the last f- few years, it, it didn't quite work. I'd feel very sorry for Henry Slade, but. I just think that when in doubt, be, be English and beast it. I, I really do. If, and um, if, if you play those two, I mean, the, the, the
3: quality and depth that England have in the back three is quite extraordinary, I think. Yeah. I mean, Given that you, 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 we've strapped on Ashton and Cock and a Singer during this last campaign,
1: mm. when, when will that lot ever get well, it? I think you've very, very very good point. I've always thought about Manu, You'd hate to mark him, and you'd also hate to play outside him <laughs> because the ball never gets to his hands. So, look, I don't think anyone's thinking England are the are the um, are the, the finished article. But I mean, I think that's the way that they're, they're heading at the moment. And you know, good luck. And Twickenham got behind them. It was imperfect, but they got a good win against a. A reasonable side, not not a great side. But there
4: is there is one thing that Nigel said there about the Fijians earlier, and how exciting it is as a young player to watch that. There was a little bit of an element to so I make mean, it was great to see Manu Tuilagi come back to test rugby after all this time out. But actually, there was this real sense whenever Joe Cogan Singer got the ball, that there was ex- there was a sense of excitement building there. And I mean, he was as shocked as anyone else when the tackle fell off him, and he realised that he was abroad in the uh, the Australian backline and thought, "God, it's easier to score here than not." But Still, you know, there's that sense of, wow, there's something yeah. exciting and new here.
2: And the other thing I think about them, it's a bit like Elliot Daly. It's let's look at what they can do, not what they can do. It's so English to find fault. Yeah. We all want perfection, but it's like, you know, what they can offer is so great. Let's play on those strengths because other teams won't want to face. And it's like Daly, you know, a lot of people questioned him at fullback, but if you look at what he has got, he's a brilliant rugby player. He's got great pace. The way he came onto that offload from Farrell, the way he read that and then had the afterburners to score, he's got that siege gun left boot. Let's start
1: looking positive at what our players can offer and build on that interesting points made there about Kyle Sinclair I think I covered a few of them in the uh, piece I did three years ago when I first yeah. um, first un- uncovered him but uh, very good just before we go on to a team which did win all its games Wales and um, in some style as well um, let's just go to uh, Marseille Al you were the unlucky man who had to go down to Marseille on the weekend Though I understand the weather wasn't great but Canada have come through uh, a four team pool to take uh, a position in the World Cup what was Was it like, uh, are Canada back on track?
4: Well, certainly there's a sense of relief. With the Canadians, they have never missed a Rugby World Cup since the inaugural event in 1987. They've been at every single one.
3: Like, like Jonesy,
4: like Jonesy, yeah.
3: yeah, me, yeah
4: you I and guess. them, no one
1: else.
4: And I spoke to Gareth Reese, actually, who Jonesy knows very well, mm. um, who played in four of those those first World Cups as fly half for for Canada, and he was very open about just how tough things would have been if Canada hadn't made it. They've had a a lean few years in fact a lot of people would say it goes all the way back to 2015 World Cup they had some players retire but results have been tumbling down since then and in fact they've, they've taken some humbling results against USA in particular which is always going to hurt Canada more than anything else they had they thought that their chance of qualifying for this World Cup would have come against Uruguay and they lost the playoff to, the, to them and that's when the alarm bells really start going in the summer Canada who have had financial problems of their own Decided that they were going to combine their sevens and 15s men's program, and that 15s was going to be there prior to going forward because they needed the money that World Rugby provides from qualifying for a Rugby World Cup. The Canadian sevens players went on a strike, a kind of strike. They refused to sign new deals. That's been resolved recently, Um, but Canada went into as well without. What one insider told me is, the best halfbacks they've had for a generation have been sevens players, and so they've had to go into this repachas without them. That being said, they always had the quality to come through that Reb Shaz. They never looked uncomfortable uh, against Hong Kong in the final game in the pouring rain. They only needed to stop Hong Kong from getting four-try bonus point win. They needed effectively a losing bonus point themselves and they go to the World Cup. And they did more than that. I mean, they were they looked comfortable throughout, and you know what? They looking at the competition around them, and it's an improving nations in there, but Canada always looked like the better side.
1: Well, uh, the thing about the 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 two best halfbacks playing sevens, for goodness' sake, doesn't that? Uh, put a black mark against Sevens because it's not the Olympic Games next up, it's Rugby World Cup and surely they've got a perfect right to ask their best players to be in the 15 squad.
4: Well, it's, you'd have to speak to the Sevens players about how let down that they felt felt about it all because it was, um, you can read about it in the next issue of Rugby World but there was a they found out in a 10 minute phone call that in a couple of weeks time that they're they were completely changing career which a lot of people felt could have been handed a lot better and actually you speak to the sevens guys and a lot of them love 15s it's not like they're at loggerheads with each other they wanted to play in that campaign but it was a principle thing for them Mm. and you're right and gareth reese was very honest he said look we've probably been a bit soft on our whole setup for the last five six years and we've needed a rethink well no matter how bad things have got we've needed a rethink anyway you've got that but Looking at the positive side of things, Canada are a Rugby World Cup and it's a massive thing for them because they need the money but also they need the generation of young kids in Canada seeing that because they're already competing with ice hockey, they're competing with Canadian football, they're competing with soccer to get young kids playing sport and so they, they need this. Um, so, so it's Gareth, a good thing for Gareth them. Gareth Reese is he the chief executive still? No, <clears throat> he's director of a commercial programme.
3: But, but so so he
4: would presumably be,
3: have been supporting this decision to to make sevens the priority
4: well i mean that was a, that was i think they'd kind of sort of walked towards that over the last couple of years and it's worth pointing out as well that it is olympic qualification year this year as well so Canada needs to get this year to make the the, the Olympics in Tokyo 2020. But a lot of moving parts, a lot of arguments to be had. I mean, a lot of nations want to discuss the merits of 7s versus 15s, (coughs) mixing them together, who can afford to have two separate programmes, that kind of thing. But the positive thing here is
1: that Canada have made it through to the Rugby World Cup. They have where they joined a pool with South Africa, New Zealand, Italy, and Namibia, yeah. and this wish them well. It's not uh, didn't seem that long ago, but it was 1991 where they played the All Blacks in the uh, in the set in the quarter final at Nantes, scored a couple of tries, and actually weren't that totally far behind. So let's hope they get off back. Off the
3: top of your head, and I know you can do this. Just reel off some of the big names from that 1991 Canada team:
1: Gareth Reese, Norm Hadley, Gord McKinnon. Um, <laughs> Sorry?
3: Al-Sharon, on
1: yeah. I think uh, Hirayama's um, father played in it, al Sharon, the great al Sharon, uh, Eddie Evans up front, dan jakhart so I'
3: I'll just ask you to, to say that one because your memory's better than mine, but yeah <clears throat> but while it's great that Canada are in the World Cup, I mean I think we, we all like that the, the, are they do they can they produce players of that quality still i mean it doesn't they don't seem to be no.
1: No, I mean, at the time, um, they used to get great um, um, competition because at the time, it was still the touring era and British Columbia and, and, and all those provincial teams a lot of t- good teams would go over there, like Cardiff, you know, Harlequins. They would go over there on the rugby tours. Writers, as you rugby earlier. writers, yeah, coached by <laughs> Nigel, and and um, they uh, Gareth always says they got great competition, and the, the, their provincial championship was very good. The level of competition has gone down, and the funny thing was at the time it was a time when rugby was getting into schools there. So that's just as 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 Al says, let's just just hope for the best.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
2: VoiceOver on. Settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
2: Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
1: Well, we've been criticised on the rack for uh, not doing enough about whales. So we're going to put that right today because whales are won all their games. Um, it, they be, they got the monkey off their back or the gorilla off their back by beating Australia. And uh, they put South Africa away um, on the weekend, not massively, but uh, with, with def, a definite edge. Um, also, they're putting um, a squad together. Um, I, I, I never believe that a, a depth in a squad means that you have three players who can come on for the last 15 minutes. I think depth is when you have players who can start when others are injured. Uh, on the subject of injury, tragically, Ellis Jenkins suffered a very, very serious looking injury at the end because even though he didn't start, he was absolutely unbelievable, as I saw this morning when at dawn when I watched the game. Uh, White Wales definitely on their way up. Owen Slot in the Times this morning uh, I think they had asked eight experts who would be the semi-finalists in the World Cup uh, Slotty was the only one who didn't mention Wales <laughs> obviously uh, Slotty Wales have not impressed you He's just looking because you can believe it I don't
3: think John Westerby mentioned
1: either. I
2: just checking it in fishing Steve we have a saying there's no such thing as experts just some with more experience than others That's a
1: good one that's quite a good one Is there a lot of lying in fishing as well, though? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah.
3: I'm going to go into fishing punditry. Do the the Welsh have a good fishing team?
1: Have you ever exaggerated the size of a fish you took? Yeah, but you'd be surprised the other
2: way because if you tell somebody you've caught a massive fish, they all want to fish there, don't they? So Uh you're more likely to say, oh, no, I haven't caught anything or just a couple of little ones. Blimey, that's
1: interesting as well. Yeah. I never thought of that. Go. You
2: see, if you catch a big one, it's often best to keep it quiet.
1: OK. OK. Slotty, do you keep a lot quiet regarding length? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um,
3: uh, well, I'll tell you uh, what. Listen, uh, let's, t- let's talk about the Wales team. OK, yeah, yeah. Whether, whether, I mean, do we as a panel think they're, they're in the top four teams or will
4: be in the top four in the world? I think with the squad that they have, they're certainly in the mix. I mean... I'd actually argue as well that Justin Tipperich could be the player of November. I mean, what a phenomenal month he has had, and he is just—he's thieving and he's linking and he's galloping and he just looks like everything that Wales I named needs him in my team of November. Okay, so so, you, I mean... so you've actually conceded something to Wales there. Congratulations, but um, it's—I agree with Steve. It looks like the squads depth that they're building there is incredible and there was something interesting that Gatlin said at the end of the match, he said, hopefully people can talk England up and how good Ireland are and we can concentrate on ourselves in the build-up to the World Cup. Unfortunately Warren, I don't think that's going to happen because the way that they've played recently and getting monkeys off their back and you know what, playing pragmatic rugby as well, taking points when they're on offer, not going well, we'll kick kick to the side of the pitch and hope that one out of three tries we get you know they're just being pragmatic about it all and seeing themselves over the line, and that's what you need in the build-up to a Rugby World Cup.
1: Nigel, you're you're a student of the way teams play. Uh, Wales have got a history of of touch players and and, and backline brilliance, but Gatland hasn't. Um, do you think that um, the Gatland wave? You think they've lost something in their natural? talents that Wales have or is it just the modern era and that's where you've got to do it I think it's probably the
2: modern era and as Al says the pragmatism but I think the great thing is yeah like at Scarlets, Scarlet's have just gone so much on skills and handling and Wayne Pivak there
1: has done a brilliant job on that and I think that has been reflected with the Scarlet's players in the Welsh team Very very true. Um, Look at Wales. um, uh, I think Thomas Francis up front uh, was always slightly uh, disappointing, but I think we always forgot how young he was. I mean, he's only in his mid-20s now. He's coming through. Adam Beard uh, looks a contender in the second row. Is a big lad. They've got Corey Hill, who's also... Uh, there as well. Toby has to come back during the Six Nations together with, with with three or four others. Gareth Davis is is playing out of his skin and possibly would have been in even if Rhys Webb was uh, available, which he which he isn't. Jonathan Davis is back in the midfield. Uh, uh, Stottie, um, you have to say that, that there's something growing there, not nearly as, uh, as as strong as Ireland at the moment, but certainly getting there. Well,
3: I think they've come on. Incredibly, and you you have been able to take away Reese Webb, for instance, who's one of the their world class players, in my opinion, and and not miss a beat. Uh, You've had no Falaut there. I mean, what happened on at the weekend was there was no Falaut anyway. Lydia was due to play and and withdrew, and then they lost uh, Ross Moriarty within about five minutes, didn't they? And um, Wainwright came on, and, um, and 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 and. you know, you, you didn't notice the difference. I mean, maybe if Falatao had been there, they would have scored more tries and, and been better. But where I'm not convinced is, do they really have the depth in the front row?
1: Okay, okay. Well, they've got Leon Brown coming through as well. But again, he'll have to come through really rapidly. But uh, look, uh, they, they, they've been, I think they've been poor in the front row for ages. And you're right, Owen, to, to raise that issue. Al, um, three of the top four teams in the world were in the Six Nations. Yeah. Uh, Are we looking forward? Well, in my opinion, we're looking forward to one of the best Six Nations for a long, long time.
4: Absolutely. Um, And in fact, I overheard some punters uh, on the airplane coming back from Marseille at the weekend. One of the Canadian players was flying out to London to take a bit of holiday time, and a punter realised that he played rugby and started chewing his ear off. But he took it very graciously. And I overheard the part of the conversation was what an exciting Six Nations this is going to be. Who the hell's going to win it? Because the only certainty you've got is that France are going to be crazy. And apart from and and Italy will be dogged, but will struggle. The rest of it, who knows how it's going to go? And that's that's what you want. I'll tell you what: that as Six Nations scramble around to try to find a new sponsor, that is exactly what they want. The product that they've got to offer couldn't be any better at the moment.
1: I agree, um England, uh, whatever they've done in the autumn, they have to go away to Ireland. You know how well Ireland have been playing. I mean, is it slightly sad that that's the first game up? It is really. It is, and but.
2: I agree with Alan all the way. I mean, I remember in the old days, the Six Nations, what used to be great about it, it didn't matter any form. It all went out the window. You never knew who was going to win. But the last few years, it's just become a bit predictable. But this year, wide open. And you're right, it is such a shame that that's
1: first game. But there again, still one to savour. Uh, Owen we're always looking for the light, the the sort of the, the 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 thing that tells us how good England are they've got to go away to dublin and they've got to go away to, to cardiff so surely now at the end of the six nations we will know exactly where they stand
3: yeah i th- that that first game in dublin will i think set england back a little way uh, th- that you want to build momentum during the six nations i know that's a cliche but it's true isn't it you i think going to dublin is You'd love them to go at the end of the at the end of the Six Nations.
2: Uh, you could look at them the other way, though.
3: Owen is imagine if they lose that game, and then they go on
2: to win all the others. It'll be forgotten, won't it? And yeah, you know, they go forward positive off the back of the Six Nations, like Wales
3: like did in twenty thirteen. You mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. yeah. could, yeah. could work that way. Well, for the, 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 the interesting thing about that is for the for the first time in, in however long, England, England, Ireland, and England are stand out underdogs, aren't they? Island of the favourites, massive favourites, and as people have been saying, I think Eddie Jones was keen to heap all this on with his amateur psychology... that you know, Ireland and now carry that weight of expectation. They've got World Rugby Player of the Year, World Rugby Coach of the Year, World Rugby team of the year. You know, they are there to be shot at. So yeah. there's there's something different there that England will, they won't go there with that expectation. You're
1: right. We should we should mention the World Rugby Awards. We'll come back to you a second. We mentioned the World Rugby Awards last night because Ireland uh, dominated. There were several other good awards and the um, referee of the year was Angus Gardner of Australia. So it just shows Will rugby still got a sense of
2: humour.
1: A fisherman. He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman. That's probably right. why he got it. So he'll tell you what, you got to stick to it.
4: Well, they landed um, a whopper with that because actually it's fitting that you mention him because I was going to say the one thing that you can predict will happen in the Six Nations is we are going to see a lot of cards and penalties for high tackles because after what's happened in this November with Owen Farrell, and however much you want to argue which way it went against South Africa and which Gardner was involved with, the no-arms tackle, he pulled out another one at the weekend, and how Jakko Piper managed to bury his hand in the sand on that one. I mean, it's fitting that we've got Nigel sitting beside me because he sees more arms on what he catches than i have been used <laughs> well, in Owen no Farrell's tackles. The only
2: biggest surprise to me that, you know... Owen Farrell didn't get penalised, and it wasn't a, a penalty try. Even any bigger surprise is that Owen hasn't as yet dislocated his shoulder because he's. Yeah, I admire him for his. You know, putting his body on the line. He'll do anything to try and win for his team. But he's going to seriously hurt himself. Well, uh,
1: the, uh, the, the ones you mentioned, Al. Uh, the, the, the World Rugby officially stated after the England South Africa game that it should have been a penalty and therefore a shot to, to a kickable shot for England to to, to lose the game. Saturday, the explanation that Jacko Piper gave for not awarding a penalty, leave alone a penalty try which it was, were absolutely ludicrous. He said they both put their shoulders in, or something like that. Is, well, is, that's is, just is, nonsense. Is
3: it not? Is that not the equivalent of of demotion? Should he? Will Jacko Piper be allowed to carry on officiating at top games well. if? If he makes a decision like that, very
1: interesting to see. And, and and as Rob Debney said in his column in the Times today, it was unfathomable. It was it was it was a penalty try for all all money. But again, uh, as we were saying that on Saturday, for instance, Glenn Jackson's on the touchline. And there was a rank horrible forward pass in front, right in front of his eyes. He looks at it and runs around behind the post, waits for the conversion. The referee, Piper, also waits for the conversion. The TMO waits for the conversion, and it looked to me that when the replay came up for the crowd, that was the first time anyone saw what had gone wrong. Absolutely scandalous! Scandalous! Do
3: you, do you think on on Farrell? So <coughs> he's had the he's had these two body checks, so, shoulder charge tackles that he's got away with. There's been so much heat about it. Do you not think that any referee who rests the game that he's playing in now? Whether conscious or subconscious, he will have that in the back of his mind. I I can't see how he's ever going to get
4: away with anything like it again. We'll put it this way, referees are always um, studied, um, marked on their performances. They get together before big international windows to discuss the directives that are passed down from Broadway. There is no way that this is not coming up in the conversations there.
1: It's not, absolutely. Nice penalty try for you yes definitely okay that's that's um i just absolutely these people are paid to do this i just cannot believe it one more thing about refereeing that uh, big martin gillingham um our, our friend and one of our um our commentator uh, former international athlete and like most of us and um <laughs> A student of the game, one his big bugbear shares with me, and that is when France are playing, you must have a French-speaking referee. It is, either, is totally unfair. We can come on to Italy, Russia, Uruguay afterwards, but you, must, you cannot have a bloke speaking English who speaks in a louder voice like a bloke arriving on his holidays in Calais to, at the time of preventative refereeing, if you can't converse with both teams, you ought to shut up. Thank you, Martin.
2: <laughs> I agree. I agree
1: with him, hundred percent. Especially right. when
2: the yeah France are playing at home. Yeah,
1: exactly. Just very brief. Briefly, Al, which is probably all they deserve. Um <laughs> Scots, they've been slightly out of the picture in the sense that not had a, a crushing victory or a crushing defeat. Not a great game against Argentina, but are you happy the way it's going?
4: Uh, it's well. Th- Gregor Townsend certainly finding out what depth he can get for the World Cup and who he can rely on, and there are some things that that have emerged out of it that will be positive. You're right, no, no enormous victories, no absolutely embarrassing results. I mean, Scotland still can't get a win at the, in Cardiff, but you know, I think I might go to my grave with that being the case. Um, but someone in particular, Jamie Ritchie, uh, coming into the Scotland back row and seeing him take to Test rugby, I think that will be something that they'll, they'll really enjoy seeing. Uh, Josh Strauss coming back to the, the test fold had been in the wilderness for a while this has just been like an opportunity to try some things out now, they tried to go for an exciting back line that we'd not seen before with Finn Russell and Adam Hastings together in the midfield, I think we can now categorically say that that was a terrible idea They got, they got, <laughs> they got that out of their system did they? Yeah exactly, so they got that, that one away um, Argentina are in a terrible slump at the moment, just the way they're playing and they're going to need a real shock to the system to get out of it, so it was probably a good game for Scotland to try that, but they also got a, a winning against a good Test Nation. So positives, but kind of, I wouldn't say massive strides forward, just a good way of blooding some people.
1: But as we've just said, um, the forthcoming Six Nations, you're really, really going to have to be good to finish in the top three, really, aren't you?
4: Yeah, it helps that they've got key games at home. They've got um, Ireland and Wales at at Murrayfield. So that's always going to be a better situation than the other way around. And then England versus Scotland at Twickenham just takes on an added dimension because of what happened last season.
1: We just uh, come to Nigel now. Nigel, you covered the England Island Women's game for us. Three out of three for England. Um, just slightly worries me that they played three of the top teams, but neither of them really gave them a, a, a proper shakedown. But what was your what was your view of England? Who do you see who's coming through? Because they have won three out of three, and they're 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 on their way.
2: Yeah, no, I think they're in a really good place. Um, I really like Leanne Riley, the Harlequin scrum half for England. Um, and obviously you know the established players like Rachel Burford she's just an uh, her passing is superb you know she created a brilliant try just with a pass that you know a lot you know Manu it's funny when we're talking about Manu Tuilagi because we know while he's been out he's been apparently returned as pool shark because he's been working on his pool i just hope he's been working as hard on his <laughs> passing because if that's as proved as much as his passing then you can play him at 10 or 12 rather than rather than just 13 Bottomman, Now, there's a rugby name. You probably remember Greg, Greg Bottoman. Yeah. used to play for Saracens yeah. and, I think, pulled on an England shirt. Yeah. Um, his niece, Hannah Bottomman, only 19. She's going to be a real promise. She scored a try,
1: sadly disallowed. But uh, now England looking really, really good. OK, good. Well, best of luck to them. And obviously the girls' um, uh, Six Nations uh, is, is coming up as well. That'll be con- really, really contestable. Uh, France and England, I guess, at the moment, uh, are favourites. Right, we now move on to the uh, key feature, the naming of our god or goddess of the week. I think we'll start off with you, Owen.
3: Okay. Uh, Paris, something amazing happened as we discussed Fiji, France, and, and the, the aforementioned uh, outside centre semi-Red I mean that. I mean he 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 was the he was the chief thorn uh, in the one. Well, that's not right at all, is it? He? He's more of a cannonball. I mean, they they just couldn't stop him. Uh,
1: he was the chief, he was the leading mixed metaphor on the field. You yes, he was, yes. A, he was a
3: he was he was he was a good cannonball. Uh, but his try was his try was was really kind of you know a, a cliche, but Lomu esque. He went through he went through three tacklers, and I don't know if you saw the way he. he he just knocked the scrum half out of the way. It was, I mean, you know, it was it was phenomenal, and, and he he was the guy who embodied the the Fijian uh, uprising that day and led them to that amazing victory. So he is my god.
1: Oh, so the, he didn't do much. The god didn't do much for for France's chances. Do you think France are now slightly back to square one after that result because they fielded a good side? I,
3: yeah, I, I I thought the. I thought that France were slowly piecing it together. French journalists that I've met bumped into during the season or spoken to have said said no 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 they, they, they haven't. They're then they're, they're, they're not taking strides and I think this autumn has has proven that.
1: Okay, they've got the coach Jacques Brunel with all the charisma of a house brick as well. That's not doing any good. <laughs> Al, uh, God or goddess, please.
4: Um I was gonna name a Fijian player, uh Pecolino, Yato, but I'm happy to concede Rad Rad on that one. And just quickly on the 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 France side of things. That game was summed up by the fact that near the foot of the game, um Yohan Houget decided to take a quick line out so that he could try and create a wonder try and got smashed back into touch. And that sums up where France have been this November because they had a chance to beat South Africa and they managed to snatch loss from the jaws of victory with Bongi and scoring for South Africa. But the other person I think that's worth mentioning for God of the Week is Rory Best stepping up to do a victory speech for Johnny Sexton because Sexton lost his voice to a throat infection last night at the World Rugby
1: Awards. So hats off to him for that. Excellent. Um, Nigel, God or Goddess of the Week? I'll go for a
2: Goddess. Lydia Thompson, England wing, Worcester Valkyries. She started playing aged 11 in school tag tournament. She scored a hat-trick on her England debut in 2012 and she scored three more against Ireland at Twickenham on Saturday. She's a fantastic player, great finisher. And if I can, I'd give a runner-up, Claire Malloy, who played seven for Ireland, scored a try against England. Fantastic performance. She plays a club rugby for Wasps and the day after she was back at hospital where she works as a doctor.
1: Okay, so Claire Malloy a semi-god, but uh, semi-goddess, but goddess Lydia Thompson. Correct. Actually, I'm just thinking, Slotty, your semi-Rodrada, uh, your god. How would he? Uh, Could we be if he was a full Rodrada, not just a (laughs) semi-Rodrada?
3: He only came with a half, yeah.
1: And I'm sorry, I'm not convinced by any of your god or goddesses. Brilliant though they are, because see Kyle Sinclair um, bringing Twickenham to life and giving them a tight-head prop, and especially from Battersea Ironsides, my favourite club. And as I said in the paper, all props should come from Battersea Ironsides. I thought that was fantastic. So um, as the casting vote is very, very difficult, but I think we might have to have a draw between three gods and a goddess because it's all so tight and you've all made absolutely powerful cases. If it went to a tie-break, you could give it to Sinkler for calling the Australian pack snitches, yeah, which that's, we heard that's over a the That's A nice I tell you what, that's a very good point. A nice just a nice bit of sledging there. And uh, I'll so I'll give there it, was it to an expletive in there as well. <laughs> I'll give it to Kyle the Sledger, Sinkler. But uh, thank you very much guys. Um just uh, before we go, thanks for listening. Um, best wishes to James Bond and Outlaw Pete. Also, thanks to Dave Morgan. Uh, 30 years looking after us in the Thames Valley. Uh, Al, uh, Nigel, Owen, uh, thank you. We'll be back next week and all the other weeks until uh, rugby ends at the end of the World Cup. And uh, we'll probably be back after that as well. But thanks for downloading and listening. Please take part uh, in, in the debate. There's, um, Please get in touch with us. And we'll see you next week when Owen will be in charge and we'll have a panel almost as good as today's.
0: Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
3: Voiceover on settings,
0: so you can navigate it just by listening.
3: Books,
2: contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey,
2: folks. I'm Mark Maron from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft tissues